right, Steve Gilmore here. This is the Gilmore Gang. Take five. Uh, introducing the uh, the gangsters uh, today from uh, London, England. Frank Raddus, upper right hand corner. Hi there, Steve. Hello, boys. Uh, below him, Keith Tier. I'm just going to say hi to Tina because she's the girl. Oh, boys and girl. Uh, shoot me now. <laughs> Keith Tier, and to his left is uh, Esteban Kolsky. Esteban? Oh, oh, that's me. Hi. Hi, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. And above him is uh, Michael Markman. Welcome, Michael. How do you do? From the Pacific Northwest. Excellent. So uh, I, we started the last... Uh, show uh, take uh, with Esteban. He had basically he wanted to avoid talking about Bitcoin. So we'll we'll go with that. Uh, Frank, you were going to tell us about TV land, right? I, I was going to say that uh, um, the, the story that's bubbled to the top other than, you know, what happened in the waters off of Iran uh, ha has been the fact that, you know, they're going to broadcast uh, 20 people in these so-called debates over two nights, so 10 people and 10 people, uh, with two different sets of, of questioners on each night. Uh, and, uh, and there's a time limit, so everyone gets about eight or nine minutes total. I think that's ridiculous. I guess it's a way to taste who these guys are. And then there's this whole layer of Trump live tweeting during the debate, which I just find to be uh, 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 interesting. And, and so that's kind of what's percolating up to the top of, uh, of the news media world right now. All right. So, so the question yeah. is, will, will the Trump live tweets feed back into the loop of the debate? Well, well that's, just that's one of the questions like, yeah. that they're, they're, they're talking about that. I know that's, that's in the... Uh, they being the news executives at at, uh, at NBC. Right. Well, it's their uh, it's their fault if they do that. I agree. Uh, I, I agree. Look, I th I think, for example, the other night when uh, uh, when Trump made his uh, uh, his announcement speech at the rally, uh, only Fox took the whole thing live. I think everyone else, CNN. Uh, started out with it for like the first five minutes and then broke away and, and MSNBC didn't cover it at all. I think that's a, that's a sign that, uh, that, uh, that some people are starting to have some, uh, some, uh, some real journalistic, uh, morals, ethics, professionalism. Cause I think that's what they've got to do. I think the ratings are just down. And so they're, they're going with what they think the story is. Yeah, that, that's my but that's my suspicion. It's, it's not uh, it's not ethics. It's, it's ratings. Uh, Esteban, well, I say can I, can I con con contrast the ratings being done with the, the announcement yesterday that Trump uh, raised twenty four point eight million dollars in twenty four hours, following the announcement of his reelection campaign. Well, he invited so, uh, the Saudis to his hotel. That's not the point. The point is like you know the the ratings may be down among people you know that that are in the elite, but the people that that really support him that are his base keep pouring money and 
support into his campaign to get into to the next level. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't make much about the fact that the ratings are down and nobody wants to see him on TV among us, uh, as much as comparing that to the fact that, like, the people that support him and are going to take him to the next re-election potentially are, are putting money into his campaign. Well, it's not a, you know, that's not news. That clearly the, that's clearly the question. We, we know he has a following. We know that it's a minority, and we know that it's enthusiastic. So the question is, how many of them show up versus how many not them show up? Right, and there are more not them. So the question is, we know there are how more many? Them. We oh, know that. We know that. We don't know and that. And we know there were not them last time in 2016. But the question is, who shows up in which states? And that, that's where you get to the uh, to the answer of whether he is reelected or not. I agree, but you know, not that I agree with Esteban, but uh, his point might be that uh, having that kind of money behind him, they can spend it on Facebook or whatever and and basically uh, pump up uh, or deflate the, the people who don't go to the polls because they're so deje dejected and uh, tired of all this. But, but then, well, that's, but then, that's you know really, what, Steve, the, really that's, the game. It's always the game. Can you keep people who will vote against you from showing up? And can you get people likely to vote for you to show up? And, that's, and they're going to have a huge war chest to spend on both of those goals. Right, but uh, I, I don't think... His that, only upside is this. You how know, many times do we, we talk about all of the people who didn't show up for Hillary? There might be people who were leaning towards Trump last time that didn't show up. There might be more votes for him out that just didn't come to the polls but are leaning in his direction, and he can raise his total if he can motivate those people. He's not going to convert anybody. Yeah, the question is how many people can he motivate? Don't forget that 2016, he spent a lot less money on video and ads and anything than anyone else because he didn't need to. He did crazy stuff that got in the news, the headlines, and the, the ability to put his... Uh, his his uh, you know sound bites all over the place without spending a money a, a dime in ads. He he he. Oh, I he meant would there was spend... Russia. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Frank says there's Russia uh, as well. Well, but let's not even go into that because that that's also going to happen. But the, the point is like it's not a question that the money is what actually going to give him the the victory. I think it's a question of focusing. Like 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 Frank was saying, see, we gotta focus on on uh, on on the people that are following him or don't follow him and show up and don't show up. So it wasn't uh, Frank, it was you know, basically, I I think that it's uh, relatively irrelevant uh, his base and how many of them are going to uh, be further incentivized to show up or not. So I think that the only real uh, opportunity to move the needle in terms of that money that Esteban is talking about is by deflating the opposition. And uh, I think that's going to be more difficult for uh, those guys this time than it was in 2016. Although I, I don't agree with that. I mean, if you look at this week in television, probably the highlight of the week was Trump's interview that was uh, partly shown on Meet the Press this morning. And in the aftermath of him choosing not to bomb Iran, um, and the widely held belief that he's sufficiently opportunistic that once you get six months before the election, he's going to start doing things and adopting policies 
that extend his base. Um, and, you know, he's already coined the term Sleepy Joe, which is a great characterization, obviously. I, I wouldn't be convinced we're talking about his base versus the turnout. I think he's got more up his sleeve than his base. Frank? I think, uh, I think Keith's right. Um, I, I, I think there's a silent majority out there, uh, a majority of a minority. Um, and, and I think that's probably one of the things that really has to be figured out by the Democrats. Aside from the fact that the Democrats have to absolutely solidify some kind of a platform, some, some, uh, something that, uh, uh, that only, uh, I think, Elizabeth Warren seems to be thrashing around with. Right. Well, I would like to go to the uh, Democrats, uh, but uh, we seem already mired in the Trump discussion. So uh, uh, who is that who's making that noise? I'm sorry. That's an airplane flying over my house. I'll, I'll mute. Thank you. Uh, what, what, what can you say about the Democrats? There, there, there's 20 of them, like, like where we started this discussion, there's 20 of them. That's gonna take two nights of different debates, which is gonna be what? Like a, it's gonna do like a, a, a round robin to a knockout stage to like you know eventually end up with two or three that matter. You know, nine months down the road, where, where the Republicans is just rubbing their hands in, in glee, thinking that they don't need to spend the time and do anything to like you know put each other down. They just need to wait six to nine months, and then they got all the money and all their resources and everything for the last six months of campaigning. Well, I, I, I don't agree with that. Uh, I think that what's happening right now in the Democratic uh, sweepstakes, if you will, is uh, <laughs> it's going to break uh, within the next 30 days, at the most 60 days. Uh, you know, basically, there's a mid-tier that is going to be elevated by uh, the mistakes that uh, Biden has been making this week, uh, you know, to, you know, factoring in a potential uh, series of mistakes that he hasn't yet figured out how to blunder into yet. Uh, and uh, I think that there's, there's some really interesting dynamics around Elizabeth Warren, around uh, uh, Harris, uh, Kamala Harris. And uh, I, I, I don't think that we should discount Buttigieg, not because any of these people are going to be the nominee, although I think that it's possible that Buttigieg will be the nominee. But their impact on the landscape and their ability to basically maintain a, a legitimate degree of visibility long enough that the, that the uh, herd thins. And I think that the herd well, will thin in the next month. Go ahead, Frank. Well, I was going to add that uh, I think that, you know, there's also an opportunity for a lot of the lower tiered Democratic candidates to start to coalesce and throw their support uh, uh, to a, one of the four or five leading candidates. Uh, and that's part of the whole political process, which uh, has yet to play out, because I think that it will take a couple of debates debates, and a little bit more time out in the hustings to figure out what everybody's got to offer and see who those top five are, because I think it's going to become pretty clear to the bottom 10 yeah, keep, anyway. Uh, keep this in mind. The, the threshold to qualify for the September 
debate goes up. So it was 65,000 individual contributors this time, and next time it's going to be 130,000 individual contributors. Yeah. So I, I think that's going to force some people off, off to the sidelines. It, right. it will, and but there'll still be some uh, some stragglers on on the top end of that. That are uh, you're, well, it's it's you're not going to drop in, you know, in someone gonna, else's the, candidacy, the, the and lead, but it's certainly going to come down from twenty three. Yeah, but I think yeah, more important. Uh, the 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 number that I think is most important is the number of people that are actually uh, writing about covering interacting with the democratic issues, regardless of who's up or down, that's the key number right now. I mean, for uh, all intents and purposes, what happened with uh, Iran and, you know, the false start uh, of, uh, you know, engagement with them had a lot more to do with him starting to feel the pinch of his, I don't want to call them ratings because I don't want to get into that backwater, but his inability to dominate the discussion. The, the cable networks seem to me uh, to be starting to move away uh, from round-the-clock coverage of Trump and more into uh, what's going on with the same kind of horse race story on the Democratic side. And what that yeah, does is it brings that's, I, I, that's just that's a story right now. But but once we get through these debates and he whittles down to a little bit less, Trump is going to seize the opportunity to do some crazy whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, but I mean, you know, regain. he's he's been doing that oh. for he's been doing that for two and a half years, three years. So uh, I I think that it's an overstatement to suggest that he's somehow going to use all the money that he has, which uh, you know is. He's always had that money, so have the Republicans. And, uh, you know, what's, what I think is most important about what's going on right now has to do with the television networks and less to do with the candidates. Go ahead, Frank. I, I was, I wanted to, that was my doing the Zohan. No, 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 no. The, uh, uh, I think it's important to remember uh, there's something wrong with your bandwidth, Frank. So talking, talking short sentences so that uh, we don't get locked up. Nope. Why don't you uh, record a video and email it to me, and then yeah, I'll post it. <laughs> Try again, Frank. Really? No, not really. One, two, three, four. I can hear you now. Can, can you hear me? Yeah, take advantage uh, of it. Go ahead. I have, uh, no, I have short I've, points. I thought of. <laughs> I want to be very short. Yeah. <laughs> no, he no. He the bandwidth to count numbers. When he uses words, it gets caught. Are you on Wi-Fi, Frank? I, no, I'm on the. I'm in. Yes. You're on Wi-Fi. Do you have a broad, uh, direct uh, Ethernet connection that you could use? Okay. No, just keep going. I'm going to go reboot. Okay, we'll go. We'll keep going. Go ahead, uh, Michael. Were you going to say something? Uh, I was going to say that there, the thing that uh, is getting more and more.
coverage are all of the bad outcomes of decisions that Trump has made. That's not helpful to him. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the story about the, the kids in detention having no toothbrushes, no blankets, no soap, that's, you know, that's probably a, a good story for a very small number of Trump supporters, but it's a horrible story for Trump at large. His, uh, his, you know, the fact that he, he really can't negotiate anything with anyone internationally is becoming more and more clear. So he's getting not just good news, he's getting horrible coverage. Uh, and I think that that's, uh, that's going to be something that's going to limit his appeal to people who aren't already in the cult. I, I, I don't really agree with that. I mean, um, he's got this meeting coming up with the Chinese president. Um, the core of Trump's message is America first, or, or make America great again, which is, you know, either nationalist or patriotic, depending on how you look at it. But I'm going to go with patriotic. I don't know how many Americans are not patriotic. Uh, I think a lot are not nationalist. Um, very few are globalist. So he, he, he has a far easier time winning assent than anyone realizes, because his core, the essence of his message is not something people object to. And the Democrats really don't have anything the equivalent of that. They, they have no equivalent. Um, I, I, you know, looking at Biden versus Trump, if that's the way it ends up, I'm not confident. I'm really not, because what does Biden really represent? Oh, Biden is not going to make the, the nomination. There's no way that he can make the nomination at this point. And, and I'm just more flabbergasted by the fact that a, 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 a national political party is okay with the fact that its main nominee can make a, 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 a launching of a campaign with a four-minute speech that all it says is like, you know, we're great, we're bigger than God, and, you know, look at the stock market as the, as the main message, and we're sitting here th thinking that this guy has a potential to win. If that's the case, then we, we deserve that kind of a leadership because we're not doing anything to control it by, by positioning a candidate that can take that down and say, oh, my God, this guy is completely useless about nothing. And I don't care who's his base is. The base is more useless than he is. All right, I'm, I'm not sure. Make that I understand. What are, you, what are you saying specifically? Are you talking about Trump? No, I'm not Trump. I'm talking about that his, his, his kickoff speech was like, you know, five minutes. And all he did was say, we're great, we, we're bigger than God, you know, we, we're making money. We, we so you are talking about here. Trump. And the, the problem is, like, the problem is not the media. The problem is, like, you know, people that are buying that, they're not buying it off the media. They buy it directly on their own. And, and we're discussing about the debates and about the candidates and whatever. The, the problem is, like, you know, we're not taking the right approach to unseat this guy. This is the thing that's more frustrating to me. I know you're, you're getting yes. way ahead of the story, though. Uh, the, the story right now is, is that there's a Democratic debate coming up on Wednesday and Thursday. The story is right circuit. now that, that, that the idea of uh, Biden's inevitability uh, is starting to be seriously challenged. doesn't mean he's not going to get the nomination. It does mean that there are going to be people who have the opportunity to come up and challenge him. Who those people see, are is. Hang on a second. You're, Esteban. We're making, Esteban. The, the story, the story is being made about something that is not the story. Uh, I, dis, I disagree. Event, so when, let me finish what I was saying. Okay. Um, the the to me the story is 
how the media is going to respond to what stories they feel are in their business model. And Okay, so the problem is that you, you put in this story on the hands of the media who has proven inept and incompetent at understanding what is it that people want to talk about, want to hear about, and instead continue the, 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 the show, show, showification and the circus events versus actually you know, being doing their job and putting real information in front of people. I mean, to make the idea that their job is to provide information uh, around issues, for example, that isn't their job. Their job is to earn a living uh, for the network that they are employed by and try and stay on the air. That's what their job is. Their uh, responsibility and their social uh, uh, intent may very well be what you're talking about, but those are two separate things. And I'm not suggesting to you whether it's a good or a bad thing what's going on in the media. I'm just telling you this is what I think is going on with the media, and I think it's going to have a profoundly uh, important and somewhat immediate effect on what's going on here. It, you know, the idea that we're going to wait six or nine months until all the deadwood is cleared out of uh, the candidates' uh, race, I don't think is what's going to happen. But without that, the media has no ratings to contain you for the next three to six months. If you get, let's say that this happens, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday, we get a couple, few more weeks, like you said, and there's like, you know, booty gig or, or, or you know, some other some other person who happens to be the candidate, Kamala Harris happens to be the candidate. Now they have a year and a half of coverage that there has to be between two people that they don't know what to do. Okay, well, I, I agree with what the last thing you said. I agree, totally agree. At least now, you and I are talking about the same thing. Before, you were talking about something different than what I was talking about. Sorry, I, I got too far ahead of you, but because I don't have the patience That's right. to, to discuss ah, the 21st century. Patience is everything. Uh, Frank, speaking of patience, Frank's back. Hello? Uh oh At least until he starts to talk. Frank, say something so I can hear you. No, you're, there's no audio. Oh, I muted you. That would be why. Well, you know, there is a good feeling associated with that, Frank. Can you say something? In the beginning, there was this turtle, and she lay down. Always he neighbor. goes to the fire sign. It's just like clockwork. Okay, so yeah, I know can you, it works. Can I you have synthesize what you were saying before into short bites so that if you lock up, which it doesn't look like you're going to do now, that uh, I think we will... I fixed it. I don't have a clue what I was talking about earlier because I got too wrapped up in this okay. repair. All right, well, sorry, uh, I'm gonna have to catch up. Bitcoin rate reached 11 2 yesterday. So, uh, in terms of the impact of the media on the next few weeks in terms of the Democratic race, uh, what I'm suggesting to Esteban is that there's a lot going on in, in this particular uh, area that is going to have an immediate or relatively immediate, not six to nine months, not the end of the, of the fall, but right now, uh, relatively speaking, in terms of who is going to start to marshal enough strength to be able to challenge Biden, which is pretty much the only story 
that the networks have right now other than Trump. I agree I with that. I think that's yes, fair. It's, it's kind of the networks. You know, we don't, we don't have 23 candidates. We don't have 23 candidates showing up with any significant coverage or time on the networks. Uh, we have maybe half a dozen, maybe five. You have Buttigieg, you have Kamala Harris, you have Bernie Sanders, uh, you have Elizabeth Warren. And, uh, you know, that that's who gets most of it. And then you have a couple of others who get a little bit of coverage. But uh, for the most part, they're all invisible. Well, for the most part, they don't feel like people who could beat Trump either. That's the problem. Well, I, I disagree with uh, that uh, notion. Uh, we don't compare what's going on in, say, three months when there are three or four viable candidates for the nomination, we don't measure that with anything that's going on right now. I agree. I'm, I'm more looking at the substance of the people and their message. Substance? And, and uh, well, or lack thereof. And asking the question, would the average American listening to the narrative on both sides, you know, strongly be convicted to choose one over the other, and in the case of Trump, a lot of people will say yes. I don't know how many say yes on the other side I, with true conviction and passion. Talk, Frank. No, I, I just lost you and everything froze again. So I'm having issues. Sorry, guys. Uh, well, Keep going. But it, you're, st you're live now. So any comments on the uh, relative uh, yeah. impact of uh, the media on the sorting function that's going on in terms of the Democrats. Yeah, I don't I don't think that the mainstream media is uh, it's it's simply going to be an editorial decision on their part as to who it is they're going to talk about the most. Uh, and you're 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 absolutely right, Keith. I mean, there's been a couple of others that have bubbled up or was that Esteban uh, that have bubbled up, um, uh, you know, including Cory Booker and uh, uh, and he gets talked about. But um, I don't think that it's going to matter one way or the other when you get down to that those final three candidates. The the, the media is going to going to going to just latch on to the half a dozen that really make sense, and they're just going to drive them home. Okay, so let me try and frame this a little bit closer to what I think is going on. Uh, let's say that there's going to be at a certain point in time three or four candidates that are going to be deemed uh, actual real candidates who have some hope of beating Trump. One of those probably will be Biden, but not necessarily uh, it, with the assumption that he, just because he has name recognition right now, that he's going to be capable of, of beating Trump. If, if he continues to show vulnerability uh, and foot in mouth disease uh, about, you know, uh, issues that directly affect uh, the heart of the Democratic Party in terms of its base, uh, he is going to, he may maintain his uh, recognition vis-a-vis uh, -vis Trump, but he's going to lose it in terms of this inevitability. I think he's already lost a significant so, component. Let, let, me, let me comment uh, with, with one little analysis from my part, right? We, we have 
one candidate, Elizabeth Warren, who's really focused on policies and you know changing the way the way the, the government works, changing the way the, what it does for its citizens, taking the, the, the side of the citizen directly straight, straight up. Not saying whether she's right or not. It's just saying this is her approach to 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 the world. We have one candidate, uh, uh, you know, uh, Pete, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who has not only proposed you know great ideas, but also shown to be a, a viable. Um, eloquent, well-raised, well-educated, smart person who can have a decent conversation that goes more than 10 words. We have a candidate called Kamala Harris who has taken the, the, the side of the people that are grossly underrepresented vis-a-vis you know, -vis minorities in this country. Uh, and then we have a all-white guy who has done nothing other than put his foot in his mouth consistently. And he continues to insist that this guy has a chance of actually making it. What am I missing in that in that statement, Steve? I mean, you have three people that have proven to be full full on good candidates, and you continue to bring up the guy who just because he's white and and old as a potential candidate, he has done nothing to prove that he's a viable candidate and then have name recognition. Well, I, I disagree with that. I think that he's proven uh, just by his name recognition alone, and the fact that he was the vice president to the first black president in history, gives him uh, enough leverage to be. Uh, considered to be the front runner right now. Whether in fact he is going to be, uh, I I personally agree with you that I think that uh, uh, he surprised me when he started by talking about Charlottesville uh, uh, in a positive direction. And I think that what he did this week, particularly uh, uh, emulating uh, Trump's inability to apologize for anything. Uh, he did that as well under repeated questioning by uh, the Reverend Al Sharpton, which was fascinating in his, he doesn't want to apologize for that statement. And that the, 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 the talking points about his gaffe this week on, on racism was like, oh, it's okay, it's Joe, he's old, his generation doesn't understand race the way we do, so it's okay right. what he said. The, the old thing, that, I not, think, is hurting him badly. By the way, he was he. He's made he's made a ton of gaps in his career, and and certainly prior to his becoming the uh, the vice president of uh, of the United States, uh, and a lot of those things get forgotten about. And um, and I well, and yeah, I think because there is he never a, ran for president. That's why they get forgotten yes, about. That's, yes, that's Don't, exactly they, right. Uh, and, and those gaps, though, killed his campaign. He did run for the nomination, and he he lost out terribly because of those gaps. I mean, his, and, and the only thing that the only thing that saved him was that he seemed useful to Barack Obama, and Obama put him in the ticket. Yeah, yep. uh, I, I, I think he was not just not, useful. Not I think that he was responsible for a lot of the smart decisions that the Obama uh, presidency made about, particularly in foreign policy. He has r real serious foreign policy chops. Yes, he does. And he's also the one that moved Obama from the position of not being comfortable endorsing same-sex marriage. You know, Obama was still on civil unions, and it was Biden who went on TV and said, no, I got no problem with that. Yeah, that's he the, broke the story thing, first. That's the thing that should be should be done. It's a question. I think Biden's words was, it's a question of who do you love? Now, if, He just framed it that simply. And when he did that, Obama was forced to move. So I, now, I think that she have been secretly in favor of same-sex marriage, but a little bit wary about going out in public because he thought the 
the, the, the public wasn't ready to hear it. But when once Biden said it, Obama had to say it. Now, so, you know, I, you raise an interesting point. Uh, one of the interesting things about uh, let's take take uh, Elizabeth Warren out of this equation <coughs> right now. Bless you, because he is uh, she is not in the second debate. And let's just talk about the second debate for a second, which when you raise the point about same sex marriage and Biden's uh, profoundly uh, important getting out ahead of, you know, basically he shamed Obama into supporting it by announcing his support first. Nobody had asked him. He just went and did it because he recognized that he had the power there. What if Buttigieg says something akin to what, in, in a reverse way, uh, that uh, de Blasio said uh, about the racial issue? What if he says uh, something uh, about the fact that he's on this stage in, in, in no part, in some small part, may have to do with Biden's effectiveness as vice president. In other words, you know, Buttigieg has this really interesting characteristic of being really smart politically uh, and giving you an answer which is a little bit of a pivot off of what you think you're trying to pin him down to and then opening up a whole new line of attack. I think that that could be a dynamic if either the media asks the question or if uh, either Biden or uh, Buttigieg brings that up in the debate, that could have a pretty big impact on this on this debate. And it's those kinds of dynamics that I think are what's going on right now. Uh, de Blasio, who uh, most people would think has a zero percent chance uh, in this uh, 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 race, uh, when he, he was the one who actually broke the story about the comments that Biden had made by basically saying something to the effect of, you know, uh, you know, his wife is African American. So uh, he was basically saying that those people that Biden had talked about uh, had worked very hard to make sure that that he and his wife would never have married. And as a result, his children would never exist. Uh, he framed the discussion in a way that brought, uh, you know, the whole issue to the front and I think has damaged uh, Biden's candidacy significantly. So I, I think there are these small uh, issues that, depending upon the effectiveness of the different candidates, uh, they're going to be brought to the fore and then the media will follow it. Unless the media breaks it. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, both de Blasio and Cory Booker are on the first night. So they're not going to be confronting Biden. So, but, but I want to go back to something that somebody said earlier. I mean, and I can remember who it was, and I apologize. But Biden made so many gaffes through his career before becoming vice president and, and, and during the vice presidency and now. It doesn't matter what the issue is. There's something that's going to show up and, and, and trip him. There is. 
You know, it doesn't matter if the Blasio brings it up or Budigate, Budjek brings it up or Warren or whoever. It doesn't matter because it's it's he doesn't have the qualifications under the fact that he was vice president. And and it, when you start digging into his piles, you got too many gaps to actually make it. So let's not. We need a candidate. And look, I'm an independent. I will vote for whoever is is best at the time. And I definitely does not Donald Trump these days, right? But we need a candidate that would actually provide some some solid, you know, ability to counter Trump. And and Biden is not it. Just but because I, he, you he know, I don't know how I don't know how dispositive all those gaffes are. You know, he's 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 good old Uncle Joe. And uh, I think that the uh, I, I think that his gaffes have just been priced into it. The people people uh, shrug. This was a particularly egregious gaffe that, that that is one of the few times he said something that caused some ripples. But most of the time, people just yeah, that's that's Biden. You know, Frank. You know, I would also add to that that um, that today's environment. Is- likely to overlook those kinds of gaps uh, now than they might have a few years ago anyway, just as evidenced by the overlooking of every gap and comment that Trump makes that's a lie or or is just plain stupid. And um, so that may be part of what's going on here. And that, that in fact, may not matter um, uh, in in the long run. Uh, But it, I, I have a sense that, and look, I, I know what what he did on uh, back in the '70s, and I, I know what his uh, what his uh, understanding of foreign policy is. But he still comes off to me like the anchor man from Mary Tyler Moore. Ted. I, I, like it's just not Ted, Ted. It's just not there. That's that's what that's what I think. He's a nice guy, and then beyond that, and let's assume he is a nice guy. Beyond that, it's pretty hard to pin him down. I do think that Boris Johnson conservative election in the UK is an interesting mirror because... Um, yeah, but Boris nobody Johnson, cares about that. Well, I'll, just to say, <laughs> Boris Johnson... No, I'm just, Boris I'm just, Johnson's past is way more who? flawed. Who? Way more flawed than uh, Biden's and probably even than Trump's. Yet, he's probably going to win. So people look past flawed past if they believe in someone. So uh, that's your thesis about Trump. But uh, let, let's uh, we're going to change subjects in just a minute. But I still want to uh, underline uh, what I think we have talked about here. I think that it's very possible, given uh, Al Sharpton's reaction to essentially handing Biden on a platter what he needed to say, uh, and Biden uh, completely refusing to do it, I think that it's going to undermine his candidacy. And, and it's not because this issue is, I mean, first of all, this issue is significant because of the, you know, in the state of South Carolina, for example, 60% of the electorate is African-American. So uh, this is a major issue for the Democratic Party. They have to figure out what to do about it. And they've got some compelling, at the moment, second-tier candidates like Kamala Harris, who, who know how to stir up a, a, an audience on these subjects, and, you know, and Cory Booker, for that matter. Not that I think Cory Booker is going to uh, continue to rise, uh, 
but I, I do think that there's enough energy here for uh, the Democrats to start to figure out, okay, if it's not Biden, who is it? And I think that's the question that we're going to get answered in the next few weeks. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. One of the, one of the strongest things that Biden has is the, is the notion that he's the one who can beat Trump. And the more polls we see where anybody beats Trump, the less important that becomes. Yeah, um, even I agree, even though we don't re actually believe that anybody can. Um, maybe not even anybody can beat him. To, uh, I think, Keith's point. Can I take one second and bring this back up to where we started, which is the role of the media, uh, and, and bring up the common... Uh, are, are, are you talking into the back of that microphone? No, I'm talking to the front of the microphone. I'm right next to it now. Can you well, hear that's, me? That's a lot better now that we're distorted. Beyond. Okay, so... so my, my, my point was, let's go back to where we started and talk about the media and the role of the media and the responsibility of the media. And, and you know, the, the biggest concern that I have, other than the fact that we can go deep into the weeds about discussing candidates and not go anywhere, is the fact that the media is not actually providing, you know, the, the, the right stages and the right, the right information and the, the, right, the, the, the right approach to this. So we, we still, no matter who becomes the candidate and how they become the candidate, the media's role in this is, start, is, is continues to be, you know, as poor as it's ever been. Okay, so, so, so why, why? So are you saying that we haven't said anything that was interesting today? No, we said a lot of things. Okay, that are so we're the, we're, see, we're in that, that category. So we're in the category of the media. That's what we do right now, and what we're talking about uh, is cutting through with a very small audience. Hopefully it'll grow when we can actually broadcast it as opposed to recording it <laughs> in one room. So I mean, I, beyond I, the fact that Tina is the only one listening right now? Well, I, I think that Tina has more power, as do we all, uh, than we're willing to acknowledge at a very early point in the race. But I think that what we've talked about uh, can be summarized in the media is clueless. I totally agree with you. The, uh, yeah. I would say that they're clueless mostly because uh, it, they're not incentivized around a business model yet that is going to bring out more relevant and important themes. And I think, Frank, at some point, I'd love to be able to discuss that with you. Uh, but we're going to move to Facebook now. Too bad, because I was gonna I was gonna say something brilliant. Well, go ahead, uh, hurry up! Oh no, nice try. <laughs> now, I, I I don't think uh, I just think that the the media um, has gone through big ups and downs uh, and, and since you know uh, Edward R. Murrow was reporting on the bombs landing in in London. I think that uh, their role is hindered only by their decision their decision making uh, because. The, their, it, the media landscape has changed so much. It's not just, hey, let's broadcast this thing live. It's it's just connected in so many different ways that the media itself needs to consider um, how the message is getting out there uh, as much as what message do they want to okay, report Okay, good. On. Let's talk about that just for a second. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I have this uh, thesis that notifications are a profound disruption of the uh, current world order. 
uh, in the technology industry. And I think that uh, we're starting to see notifications uh, spreading into the political discussion. Uh, CBSN, for example, uh, does not have a cable network, although they're trying to buy a couple uh, with a Viacom merger. And uh, there, I frequently watch, instead of listening to commentators or the usual suspects, no matter how compelling they might be on MSNBC uh, over and over again as a repetition, uh, I'm starting to watch uh, Nancy Pelosi when she starts her press conference. I'm starting to watch Trump when he's walking to the helicopter. I've started to, you know, those are, those players have seized this new media environment, which is Facebook Live or uh, Periscope Twitter or uh, some media version of that, you know, uh, old media version of that. And they're using it to, as I think somebody pointed out earlier, to dominate uh, the, the political discussion and the effects of so-called free media on the race. So it's a big deal. You know, it's funny that, uh, that, you know, kind of what you're describing is what C-SPAN originally tried to be, um, which was to just turn a camera on an event and let it happen before your very eyes and, and then you decide. What they didn't have was the way that, that it could be discovered and discoverability when it comes to those kinds of moments through the net, through through uses of, of notifications, uh, which has made it so much easier, has made people like you interested in seeing that raw stuff, which is kind of cool. Actually. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, uh, this weekend or this week, uh, Esteban and uh, other uh, analysts were at a Salesforce conference called Connections uh, about marketing and uh uh, and related subjects, analytics. And uh, I subscribe uh, due to a, a friend of ours, uh, Brent. What's Brent's last name? Leary. Thank you. Brent Leary, Leary uh, has a, a, a podcast that he's been developing on LinkedIn, which is a whole other thing that he's been experimenting with. And so I got a number of notifications uh, which, when I clicked on them, I was immediately transported to uh, the images and sound of what was going on at this conference. Uh, and Esteban was talking at, at great length about you know stuff that basically the conference for me, since I didn't attend in person, uh, became virtualized into this notification environment, and it was entirely successful. Uh, I couldn't get Esteban to shut up, but that, that's just because he had a lot to say. It was only like seven minutes. It was a short video. No, you were on two different <laughs> notification casts. Yeah, well, the second one, I only provided like 30 seconds of, of the commentary. It was just yeah. in the background. Uh, and, you know, Trump's just walking to the helicopter, but all the news is made there. Uh, yeah. Good point. Don't call me Trump, though, but good point. Okay, thank you. All right, so Facebook. Facebook dropped a, a, either a big bomb in a small pond or a small bomb in a big pond. 
Uh, Keith, the, you want to summarize a little bit about what uh, yeah. we hope to talk about? Yeah, so what, what Facebook did is, you could argue, create the first global currency in the world. It, 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 it's a digital currency called Libra. It may or may not be crypto, depending on your point of view, but it's certainly a digital currency. They made it so that the currency is only minted when people exchange fiat currency for it. So if I, I give... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I know you know a lot about this stuff, but I spent most of the last four or five days reading it. what minted means. I, I now understand that, but I was gonna explain nobody it. else does. So basically... Um, the currency doesn't exist until it's minted. Minted means come into existence. Um, and it only comes into existence when you give dollars or any other fiat currency in exchange for it. So basically, the Libra consortium builds up fiat currency in reserves that people give it. And in return, they mint or bring into being Libra, which is then owned by the individual who gave up the fiat. So, so how, you end does, up how does Bitcoin... Uh, Mint. Bitcoin doesn't mint. Okay, uh, what do they do, and what's they why is it different? Bitcoin is mined through network resources being used, um, and is mined as a reward for the use of those network resources. So, if you're a miner, you're you're committing network resources to the Bitcoin network, and you get rewarded in Bitcoin um, when you do that. Partly and uh, as a fraction of what you create. Um, and uh, so Bitcoin only comes into existence through mining. Okay, and it's uh, Esteban had a question. By fiat. I, I, I was saying I mine Bitcoin. So I, as a miner, I provide my machines and, and the power that I pay for to create hashes that support the, the existence of the coin, which is going to continue through the next few years and then cease to be. Okay, so what are you? Why are you doing this? Why are you spending the electricity? And because I get paid. Because I, I get paid a penny a day, a, a Bitcoin, a Bitcoin penny a day for the exchange for the use of my machines and the electricity that I pay for. Okay, uh, all right. So continue. So basically, I'm printing. I'm, you know, going back to the concept of minting, I'm printing my own money. Every, every penny that I accumulate uh, in about X number of years, when Bitcoin becomes whatever value you want to assign to it, uh, it would have been basically sort of free or very, very cheap for me to obtain. Okay, so uh, continue, please, Keith. So so uh, the key point about Libra, therefore, is there's always a balance between the fiat currency held in reserve and the number of Libra in circulation are always balanced. Now, uh, what's interesting is un unlike any fiat currency, Libra is immediately global. That is to say that um, third parties, we'll use the example of Spotify, could choose to get paid subscriptions in Libra, which they can then translate back to Fiat if they want themselves centrally. Um, uh, whereas if they don't do that, they have to take different currencies in every nation in the world and they have to have payment gateways and they have to have credit card gateways and they have to pay fees. Uh, money has a price, which is paid typically to banks or credit card companies. With Libra, most of those fees go away, not all. Um, so the, the price of money globally 
is massively reduced due to the removal of lots of middlemen. And Facebook has basically therefore created a global payment system without needing credit cards or banks uh, in the loop. And so, so, so how are the value of, uh, of Libra um, affected by rates of exchange as they fluctuate? Massively. Well, so if, 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 your, if your fiat currency is liable to decline, then you would be very well served to spend all of the money you've got and put it into Libra. Because Libra is against a basket of top currencies. So, for example, my in-laws are South African. They spend the rand. The rand is highly negative to the dollar and the euro over many years. Um, so if they could have put their money in Libra 10 years ago, it would have retained its value instead of the rand, which didn't. So it's particularly attractive in nations where the domestic fiat currency is subject to decline over time. It's very unattractive if your fiat currency is subject to growth over time, but less unattractive because Libra is tied to those to a basket. We don't know what's in the basket yet, but most likely the euro, the pound, the dollar, uh, the, uh, you know, probably the Chinese and Japanese currencies will be part of that. It's whatever people pay in, actually, is, is what it's balanced. So is that, is that how the exchange rate is going to be determined over a basket full of various other types of currencies against what a Libra is valued at? Correct. And there's a big precedent for this. The United Nations and the World Bank has had this system for decades called XDRs. And XDR stands for Special Drawing Rights. And it's made available to nations whose domestic currencies are um, troubled, let's say. And um, the XDR is priced across a basket of currencies. The US dollar is about 60% of that basket. So that methodology Facebook has come up with is a long-established global trading methodology. So there, there's also a couple other points that would be interesting to bring to, to, to bear right now. Number one, uh, Facebook announced it, but Facebook does not own or determine or does anything with Libra. There's a foundation that is independent, and there's a third party called Calibra that creates the wallet, which is which is basically the, 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 the entry into the blockchain, which is also independent. So the only thing that Facebook does on this is provides 2.8 billion people uh, access to a stable currency that is not a fiat currency that is determined by many things. And like Frank said, it's stable. I mean, I, I grew up in Argentina. My whole life was, for the most part, transacted in dollars. It was buying and selling dollars to, to exchange for the currency at the time that we needed it. If we have something like fiat, I mean, like, like Libra, that goes around the entire world, that I can invest in, you know, put on my Argentinian pesos into Libra, go to Europe on vacation and use my Libra to pay for things. And it, it's it, it's a it's a brand new country with 2.8 billion people in a single currency. The, the, yep. the value of this is completely, people get hung up on the concept of blockchain and Bitcoin currency and exchanges and that stuff. But you have like, you know, by the time that this launches, potentially 3 billion people, or, or which is what, like half the, the world population, if not, if not close enough, that will have a single currency, no matter where they go, no matter what they do, that, that it has no fees to be accessed. This is well, a whole other, new, yeah. different system. Um, so the other thing, Esteban, I started by calling Facebook the world's biggest country, but that does miss a subtlety, which is it's the first global country. 
Um, and, and the concept of a global country, in a sense, doesn't make sense. So it's the first non-country um, is really what it is. It's a global non-country. Uh, and also, the, the other interesting thing is there's a thing in, in regular banking called custodial services. So custodial services means where is your money stored? Um, typically, the answer is a bank, but it can be various things. Where is your money stored and who gets paid for storing it? So in the current financial system, everything has a custodial. There's no, the only thing that doesn't is something you put under your mattress, and then you're the custodial. In this new Libra world, there are no custodials. Everyone becomes their own custodial, which means you have a wallet with an amount in it that isn't sitting in a third-party institution, and you can spend it anywhere and access it anywhere and any time. So by becoming your own custodial, now you have peer-to-peer -peer finance over a global overlay without third-party storage services. Okay, uh, so I, I just, you know, we have so much that we could cover here and we have so little time uh, after uh, the political discussion. So, uh, which I did that way on purpose because I want to be as quick to the point as we can possibly be about this. There's a tremendous amount of information about what's going on here but you raise implicitly you raise the point which is uh, are the banks going to stand still for this are countries going to stand still for this is this just going to be a cakewalk will countries use it take advantage of it i i, I mean i think there's I, th I think it opens up some doors for uh for those countries that are for example uh under sanction uh, to be able to navigate the financial world uh, a different way. Well, that, that gets to some of the issues of uh, 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 permission. There, there's one point that, that, that Frank made about custodial services that was critical because with that custodial services, I, I, I'm not exactly sure how much chance or, or option the banks and the financial institutions have to embrace it or not embrace it. If you have a currency supported by its own system, you know, a foundation, and, and, and all of a sudden this foundation decides to drop 65 trillion tons of debris in the middle of the ocean, put a flag and call itself the, 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 the country of Libra, you have nothing that you can do about it. But, but that's not the point. The point is like, you know, there's no custodial services. You don't need the banks to get into Libra. I mean, PayPal, MasterCard, Visa, be virtually everybody that can transform transform your dollars, pesos, or ones into Libra has signed up to the project. Yeah, I, I understand that. But what I'm I'm trying to say is is that incumbents have a nasty habit of reinjecting themselves into the conversation. And what I'm asking when you they have is, chance, yes. I'm asking somebody to weigh in on the possibility uh, of this not happening. I don't think it cannot happen. For it, for it not to happen, massive amount of new law would have to be um, enacted. Um, and I don't think that's practically likely, certainly not at a global level. Um, it, there is no ICO here. There is no security being sold to the public. It, it is not in breach of any existing laws at all. Um, I remember many years ago, I went on vacation to Montego Bay in Jamaica, and in the resort I went in, I had to hand over my dollars 
and Alice given uh, wooden wooden tokens. And that was the only thing I could spend in the resort. It's just that, at a massive global scale. Uh, so I don't think there's any law they're breaking. Um, All right, but you know, in the uh, run-up to the uh, first debate, uh, I don't think we've heard Elizabeth Warren talk about Libra, but she's definitely talking about breaking up the uh, the tech monopolies. Or that wouldn't affect Libra. Libra. Libra is not owned by Facebook, Google, or anyone else. It's they've set it up very cleverly, so it, 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 they they don't own it. All they own is a wallet. Actually. So you don't think there's going to be a senator or two uh, that are going to come in and oh, say, "Hold oh, on a be second. No, there'll be massive noise." But they they won't be able to stop it without without coming. If say, essentially they have to become, this is the era of globalization and nations playing out, and nations can't legislate for the global layer except together, and there will be no unanimity. I didn't say nations. I said nations. And I also say other corporations. I mean, uh, oh, there's a different system that uh, uh, Jack Dorsey is uh, uh, enabling with uh, uh, as CEO of Square. Uh, it's a five or six person uh, startup, basically, inside the company that's focused on Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I misunderstood the question. Uh, at the level of the, what, what's happened now is the genie is out of the bottle. Um, Facebook has given the world the methodology to create digital currencies that are global. I've got to believe there's teams at Google, even at Apple, uh, uh, Alibaba, and so on, preoccupied with what they play with in this space. Bitcoin, I think, is different. I don't personally think Bitcoin becomes a means of payment in the way that Libra is. Um, I think Bitcoin is the equivalent of gold in this world. It's the digital store of value that has the chance, you know, I'm just looking, it's $10,974 per Bitcoin right now. You know, it was $3,000 not long ago. Um, and it, it'll probably be 20000 at some point soon. Uh, and why? Because it's the infrastructure layer that underlies everything in crypto. Um, and, and um, I, I, you know, I think it plays a different role. And I think Dorsey understands that and is not suggesting it becomes a means of payment. He's thinking of it as a store of value. There, there's, a, there's a critical difference between Bitcoin and Libra, like Fran said. But one of the things that it, there's two things that you need to notice. Bitcoin opened up the possibility of having a non-currency currency, which was a non-fiat currency becoming you know, a store of value or an asset class or something to that effect. But also keep in mind that you know, since Libra was announced, the biggest reason that, that we can find for the run-up from 5,000 to 11,000 on Bitcoin over the last six weeks was essentially uh, the, 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 the thought that cryptocurrencies like Libra is aiming to become will be accepted as a, as a store of value. And you know, to go to your previous question, Steve, I mean, countries around the world and senators and everybody try to ban, control, and, and, and put down Bitcoin, and yet it continues to rise and continues to show you know, a consistent, consistent value based on the belief of the people that use it, not based on anything else. And that's that's the critical part aspect of Libra, you know, whether they may have an exchange rate based on a basket of currencies, um, three billion people using it is it, sufficient to pretty much dictate your own 
your, your own future and your own laws. Okay, so uh, I just want to get a comment from uh, uh, Michael, uh, if you have one, uh, about the this issue and uh, potentially its impact on uh, the political debate. Since we started the show talking about uh, $24 billion in uh, or whatever it was that uh, Trump has already raised for his campaign. What if there's a campaign that starts raising Libra? I mean, it's not going to happen because they're not starting till next year. But, uh, you know, maybe a pre-market. Is, is there a pre-market already in Libra coins, even though it doesn't exist? No, no. Okay, so no, I I don't see I don't see that happening in the campaigns. I just have one one note of caution: uh, not everybody who is on Facebook is going to be on Libra. Uh, I mean, they do have a a very large addressable audience, but uh, it, it's going to be some fraction that say, "Oh, I'm going to try this." Well, I think uh, I don't know that that's right, but it's not a bad. It's a good starting assumption, but I think it's a bit like the internet and AOL. And everyone said, everyone, not everyone's going to leave AOL. Well, that turns out to be true, <laughs> but, but not very. <laughs> okay. And then, and then in 2022, Facebook decides that only transactions conducted on Facebook can be conducted on Libra. And you get a choice. You stay in Facebook and use Libra, which is going to be very beneficial because there's no fees and there's no intermediary or you don't conduct transactions in Facebook. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> What? We haven't talked about it, but it, but it relates a lot to the privacy and uh, Instagram, uh, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger future of Facebook. Um, the, the, this is strategic and it represents a part of what is the business model uh, of the future. And you've got to give Facebook credit. They've reinvented their business model already twice. This is the third time. And every time they do it, they do it in a way aligned with where tech is going. So they get wind in their sails. It's, it, it, uh, you've got to give a lot of credit for that because it's, it's really hard to eat your own children and, and give birth to some new ones, you know, every, every five years. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that comment. However, uh, Facebook and notifications is oil and water. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they're missing the, the, this transition. They may be able to roll up, uh, you know, uh, WhatsApp and Instagram and Facebook. But, uh, you know, those those constituencies are already defined. My daughter is on Instagram. She's not on Facebook. Uh, I don't think she knows what uh, WhatsApp is. Yeah, but you know what? You're going to be able to send her money, which uh, knowing my children, you're going to be forced to do. From you can set, you'll be able to send her money from the place of your choosing to her Instagram using Libra for free. Yeah, I mean, they already use uh, uh, Pen Venmo. PayPal or uh, Venmo, right? And these are insecure versions of what you're talking about. But I, yeah. I think you underestimate the ability of. Uh, other players. I mean, we've got Google, we've got uh, Amazon, we've got uh, a number of players who are not in this consortium of uh, partners 
uh, for the uh, Libra, what's it called, exchange or? A consortium. And I would just say, Larry, Sergey, call me. You need to be in this game. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I think but, there's... But, but by the way, Steve, Steve. Yes, go they're ahead. They're not there. The, the proper term is they're not there yet, not that they're not there. I mean, it, it, every every movement has a momentum. I, I completely point, agree with I, you. In, in, you disagree with me? No, I completely agree with you. They're they're, oh, yeah. they're not there visibly, but are they there? That's why I brought up uh, uh, what Jack Dorsey's do, uh, doing. It appears to be, uh, as Keith suggested, uh, in a different area of this crypto environment. But uh, I see yeah, it as money, he's just he's just basically just putting, you know. I, I think that the uh, uh, image of, you know, shifting, disrupting yourself before you're disrupted by competitors is the guiding uh, law of the of the digital jungle. And uh, I think that's going on. I think this is just the first uh, uh, evidence of that. And I think Congress will wake up to that well after uh, all the bodies have been buried. Okay, yeah. uh, Frank, last thoughts. Uh, I really wish I'd had $4 million to buy David Gilmore's Black Stratocaster. That's Gilmore with a O-U-R. That's exactly right. That's right. Uh, I don't understand that, but you know, he sure is a great guitar player. I think he sold $23 million worth of gear at Sotheby's. It was apparently the biggest gear sell uh, in, in guitar history. I don't, I don't exactly understand it either, but I did like that guitar. All right, so next time, Frank, we're going to get into streaming big time. Good. <laughs> All right. Uh, Good. I'm, I'm, I'm actually speaking at a couple of conferences uh, uh, in the next uh, 40 days or so. Uh, one is about streaming and one is about uh, voice technology. So those seem to be the things that everybody wants to talk about right now. Well, I think they're going to these things are going to link up. I, uh, Clay, oh, Shirky are, Clay Shirky famously said that micropayments don't work. Well, uh, the thing that we're starting to see here is a is a system fabric for micropayments. Uh, when you know direct to consumer starts to uh, impact, at, you know at the user uh, consumer level, uh, it's going to be. And, and voice and AI are going to be so critical to that. I I totally agree. Uh, Michael, last thoughts. About anything. I'll be tuned into the debates. That's that's where I, where I'll be. Which is going to be the more exciting, Wednesday or Thursday? Um, I, I, I think they're both going to be exciting for different ways. Um, you know, they're kind of, they are kind of programmed so that the climax comes on the second night. Uh, but when you have uh, Elizabeth Warren pretty much having the stage to herself the first night, I think something interesting will happen. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, the fact that Beto O'Rourke is on that, uh, I think he is elevated in terms of uh, visibility 
because of the fact that it's just him and uh, Elizabeth Warren, and possibly, although I doubt it, uh, de Blasio, who does have an issue if he wants to drive it. Uh, uh, Esteban, last thoughts. I'm waiting for the Asian markets to open and to see the pop. Can you speak into the mic a little bit? It's hard to understand. I'm waiting for the Asian markets to open. I'm waiting for the Asian markets to open and see the pop in Bitcoin to see whether it's going to sustain the level or it's going to be like in a, a few more days until we get there. But I, it's going to be a very interesting next few weeks and uh, on the price of Bitcoin, not only on the you know making money part, but also on like the acceptance and how the institutions are like you know getting into cryptocurrencies and paving the way for Libra, which is going to be an incredible story through the next couple of years. You might even have to uh, log on to your uh, Facebook account. Not a chance. I don't have one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it, it, you're going to go from mining to minting? I think so. I can. I cannot mint because I don't have the power that Facebook has. They can only mint through the, through the uh, foundation. But... I could certainly benefit in, on, on the Bitcoins that I own, on the minting that they do. What if Bitcoins become uh, one of the uh, 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 the levers of, uh, what's the phrase, Keith? Right now, the, the fiat currency. What if Bitcoin becomes a fiat currency? Bitcoin cannot become it, a fiat currency. Well, it, nations could adopt any currency in replacement to their own. For example, Zimbabwe re replaced their currency with the dollar at one point. So it wouldn't shock me if some nations replaced their own currency with Libra. Bitcoin, less less likely. But what I'm asking is yeah. whether or not uh, the, the way that Bitcoin works is to, I mean, I'm sorry, the way that Libra works is by allowing you to be able to offload Libras into fiat currencies, right? Yeah. Okay. What What if uh, Facebook agreed in order to uh, avoid uh, uh, Congress coming after them about their uh, security and privacy issues? What if they agreed to make Bitcoin a fiat currency in that system? I mean Libra. I'm sorry. No, I'm talking about Bitcoin. You, you cannot, you cannot make Bitcoin cannot become a fiat currency by the way that is, but it's designed and the, the way that it operates. Do you understand what it's, I'm it's asking? It's not a you, fiat currency. I, I, I heard you. I, I'm not. I think there's a question in what you're saying, and, and, and your description of the mechanics is getting in the way of the question. So I agree. Try, try to phrase your question I, without. As I, as I the question is: Could could Facebook accept Bitcoin? as uh, an exchange for Libra. Exactly. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say. Uh, uh, it, it, doesn't work like, it doesn't work like that. Think of Bitcoin as an open source. Bitcoin is kind of like Linux. It, it's an open source infrastructure that anyone can convert any third party currency into using something called an exchange or, or, or a peer to peer transaction through a wallet. So the answer is, but well, hang on, hang on. If it, when you say uh, the Bitcoin is over ten thousand, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So if that number was included, however 
unstable it is. The question that if that was included as one of the stable yeah. coins that... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, they, they, the question that you want to ask is... is the, the question that you're trying to ask is whether or not Bitcoin can become part of the basket of currencies that are used to... That's correct. ...to power the value of Libra. And yeah. the answer is yes, but that's actually good for Bitcoin because when you do that, you you, you verified, you, you not valid, validate the, the, the value of Bitcoin as a store of value. I agree. Is what we're trying to do. That's why, that's why I'm asking the question because I think politically for Facebook, this may be a way of indemnifying themselves against congressional and, uh, you know, other uh, market uh, attacks on the on the model. So, so the interesting thing is, this is too detailed, but there's relative value and there's absolute value. The absolute value of fiat currencies go usually goes down in times of global turmoil, so trade wars or actual wars. Gold usually acts as the, the stabilizing store of value that doesn't fluctuate downwards, but goes actually goes up. It's counter-cyclical in a way. Bitcoin is also counter-cyclical. So at the global level, Bitcoin is a hedge against all fiat currencies. And if Libra only has fiat currencies in its basket, there could be a divergence between Libra and Bitcoin, where Bitcoin is good and Libra is bad. Um, now, no one would really notice that day to day because They'll just be spending Libra on goods and services. Okay, okay. You 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 didn't answer my question. Does it make sense for Facebook or the uh, interoperable partner group to adopt Bitcoin in order to essentially what uh, Esteban is suggesting, yeah. which e is resolve the validation issue yeah. around e Bitcoin? Economically, yes. Politically, no. Because once they do that, they've stepped into the world, uh, 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 you know, potentially into the world of regulation and politics. So it would be a brave move for them to accept it. Economically, it would make a lot of sense, however. So if they're economically driven, they should. If they're fearful and defensive about regulation, they shouldn't. Okay, that's it. Uh, I want to thank... Uh, well, we didn't actually use stream this today uh, for technical reasons, but uh, in general, we use Ustream IBM Cloud to record and stream the Gilmore Gang. Uh, we uh, are forever in debt to uh, NewTek and their amazing TriCasters, uh, which we use to make this into video. Uh, we are incredibly in debt to our producer and director, uh, Tina Chase Gilmore. Thank you. No camera. Oh, there you go. Ooh, lightning quick on the, uh, on the cameo there. And uh, I want to thank our gangsters. Uh, Michael Markman, thank you, sir. You're very welcome. Uh, Frank Raddus, it's great to have you back after your uh, time uh, in uh, the Middle East. It's great to be back. I think I'm going to have being. Uh, I'm going to head back there for uh, uh, probably a couple of weeks. I'll let you know about that later. All right, excellent. Uh, 
Keith Tier, Yeoman Scholarship, you are even more of an expert than you thought you were. Well, I don't know about that, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, obsessed is probably the better word. <laughs> and uh, and the, the amazing Esteban Kolsky, who knows a lot more than uh, he is willing to acknowledge. Oh, and that's about Facebook, right? But thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks to uh, the chat room, which is not aware that we're actually on the air. <laughs> thanks to this will be streamed on uh, Twitter, Periscope, uh, Facebook Live, and uh, hopefully it was recorded all with audio this time. <laughs> New audio, audio enabled. Uh, I'm Steve Gilmore, and this is the Gilmore Gang. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks to everybody who showed up, and especially those who didn't. We'll see you again. <laughs>